You, you have to represent the type of shoot that you want. Who cares if you're having a bad day? You got to come in there with the right energy, motivate people, get the best performances out of actors, get the best performances out of crew. That's your role as the director. At least that's how I see my role as a director. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Era Podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and today's guest is Ben Consoli the host of the Go Creative podcast show and director and owner of BC Media Productions. I've been a fan of Ben for several years and we talk about that in this podcast interview with his Go Creative show podcast where he interviews so many incredible DPs, filmmakers, production designers, Pretty much anybody involved in the Hollywood or filmmaking industry he has had on the show. It's really incredible. In our conversation, we talk about how he got started in the podcast game, as well as go into detail on how to run a production company, even during tough times right now. It was a real honor for me to interview Ben Consoli on this episode of the Golden Hour Podcast. But before we get started, I'd like to remind you guys to please subscribe to the podcast in your podcast player of choice and leave a rating and review in the Apple Podcast Player. All right, without any further ado, let's listen in to my conversation with Ben Consoli. So here we are with Ben Consoli, the host of the Go Creative Show as well as owner and director of BC Media Productions. Thank you, Ben, so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. This is fun and nice to catch up with you. It's been a little over a year since we last saw each other at NAB uh, at the Atomos booth. Man, that it's really unfortunate that uh, NAB didn't happen this year. And I know. Who knows if it's even going to happen next year or ever again? I don't know, question mark, right? Like... It's weird. Probably not the way that it was. Yeah, you're right. Do you think this will kind of mark history as like, from this point on, we always did things this way. And then it's kind of like, if you, like, I remember when we were binging Seinfeld, there's episodes where Jerry is like at the gate where the people come off of the plane and it's like, oh yeah, you could actually go to the gate when your family or friends would come to the airport. And it's like, it's so foreign to see that now. And I feel yeah. like <laughs> large groups of, gath- of of people very close to each other, like concerts and uh, conventions, we're going to look back on it and be like, oh my gosh, what were we thinking? You could get sick so easily. And everybody did get sick. I remember always getting sick at those conferences. <laughs> so. I, I know. I, I don't know. I I am hopeful that we will get through this and go back to some sort of normalcy. Um I don't know if we're ever going to get rid of large events and large concerts and, and large things like that, because there's an energy there that, I mean, nobody missed the energy of an airport, you know, <laughs> people are going to miss the energy of That's a true. concert in a trade show because the face to face and just the vibe and the feeling of being in a crowd right. is something that is just human nature. But You're right. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there was a time in March when I was like, I wonder if NAB will happen. <laughs> In March, yeah. How naive you were, indeed. Exactly. (laughs) Also, I remember in March, April, I guess May-ish, when things really started getting locked down, it was like, oh yeah, surely in August we'll uh, we'll be over this, you know. And here we are. Good Lord. Um, But it is kind of surreal to be your friend. (laughs) I remember meeting you at NAB last year and just definitely being a little starstruck, my friend. I've been listening to your show for way before you were even the host of the show ironically um oh wow (laughs) i was listening to the show as you became kind of a a side guest to what was his name again paul antico yeah paul antico um the show also had a different name at the time it was Um, called the need creative podcast at that point that's right and um you were kind of like a a guest i guess on the show and uh i loved your voice and you guys had great energy with each other and then I don't know what happened, but I, I would assume that, you know, maybe he didn't have the time or, or want to do a podcast full time. And you, you really ran w- with it and have, have taken that show. And it's really kind of become the premier filmmaker podcast. It's incredible. Well, thanks. I mean, hosting the Go Creative show has been really fun and I've been doing it for so long. I can't believe it's It's got to be like six years now. It's yeah. nuts. It was like right when kind of the 
really before the podcast boom was really a thing, like before serial, you know, came out. Oh yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, it was back when you could say, Oh, Hey, I have a podcast. And people were like, wow, that's amazing. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of technology are you doing to do that? <laughs> I know. No, I mean, just doing the show is cool because I have an opportunity to talk to people that I otherwise never would. So it's like, yeah. And it's also amazing to me that people are so willing to come on the show and talk about stuff. Like, you know, <laughs> people at really high level positions in Hollywood are saying, yeah, I'll, I'll be on the show. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. I remember talking to you about this at NAB last year when, when we met kind of behind the scenes. I was like, how are you getting these guests? And you're like, I don't know. I just got like one or two really good ones. And it kind of just snowballed from there, right? Like, yes. It did. Um, I'm trying to look up his name as we speak, and I can't believe I can't remember it. But the director of photography for um, Breaking Bad. Uh, yes. Hold on. It's okay. Yeah. Oh, I'll... Michael Slovis. That's it. Michael Slovis. He was the first, like, quote unquote, real guest that I've ever had. And, and that was actually for the Need Creative podcast, I think. I don't even think it was Go Creative Show at the time. And yeah. um, I don't even know how this happened because I, I don't remember how he ended up agreeing to be on. But it was at the perfect timing. Like Breaking Bad was in its last season or, you know, second to last season. Everybody knew the show, loved the show. He came on to talk about it. And I think that is what changed the trajectory of the yeah. the podcast and where what my goals were with the podcast. Because then you could start saying, oh, yeah, I had Michael Slovis on. And people are like, oh, really? Well, it, it validated the show. <laughs> exactly. So it was a combination of a few things. A guest that was really high profile, working on a show that everyone was obsessed with, and being, you know, having a podcast at a time where podcasts were more rare. Yeah, I think, I'm trying to remember back six years ago, gosh, but like, I don't think there was, I mean, you, you, you did have a couple of filmmaker podcasts out there, but nothing really, nothing like the Joe Rogan of Hollywood yeah. that you were doing at the time. I mean, it really was quite novel and you've really been able to carve a, a great niche for yourself over the years uh, with Go Creative. What, you know, like what about it during that process going from need to Go Creative? Now this, this is definitely getting to the weeds of the nerddom because a lot of your fans might not be old school fans like myself here, but <laughs> it's like, what was that transition from need creative to Go Creative? Did you actually just take full ownership of it at that point and decided to yeah. rebrand it. Yeah. I mean, Paul and I, Paul's the knee creative podcast was great. And, um, you know, Paul Antico was, um, you know, gracious enough to invite me on. <clears throat> and then at the time he just had some stuff going on. He didn't have the time to do the show anymore. And, um, you know, it's didn't, didn't want to pursue it, but I very much loved it and wanted to, to kind of take it over. So I did it for a while as kind of the only host of the Need Creative podcast. But then the direction kind of changed because Paul and I just had different styles and he talked a lot about gear and news and I was doing more interviews. So too much of the show had kind of changed and it didn't make sense anymore to keep that name. So Makes just sense. change the name to Go Creative Show, you know. Um, it's and, still an and homage went into an to interview it. style. It right. is, yeah. yeah. And it went into an interview style and, you know, the people that were like really diehard Paul and Tico fans that didn't like me at all just, you know, didn't come for the ride. But um, <laughs> others and some new people went to go creative show. And um, I guess the rest is history. And kind of one amazing thing about you, and we've talked about this before, like you, you weren't like trying to be a radio host or anything. You just happened to be born with a great voice. I don't know what happened there. It's perfect for, for the show. I don't know if you Thanks. are aware of that. It's your own voice. So you don't really, you probably don't think anything of it, but you have a great, <laughs> you have a great instrument with your voice there. And, uh, that was one of the first things I noticed when you got on the show at the beginning was like, ah, oh, he sounds like he's a radio host. <laughs> well, I, I've always loved talk radio. Like I, I loved it. So I, I mean, I remember I'm, I'm much more of a music and radio person than mm. a film person, which is kind of weird. I mean, before I did any video at all, I was in multiple bands and, mm. you know, fronting those bands. So I've, I've always kind of loved live performance. I, before even starting the show, was very comfortable with how to use my voice, um, how to use microphones, how to, um, 
you know, just kind of hone that talent. <clears throat> and I always loved talk radio. So, you know, Howard Stern back in the day, listening oh, to it. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I just, there's something about talk radio I love. And I still to this day, I just very much enjoy listening to people talk about anything. You know, it, it, I like listening to people that are passionate and excited about something. Mm. It could be politics, movies, it could be sports, it could be anything. Like, I I get drawn in when I listen to people that are passionate about something. And um, I just think it's interesting. So, I mean, our Go Creative show is definitely a show for people that like talk radio because it's all talk. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's also a show for people that like filmmaking because we get into the weeds. But I think what I like to do is I, I like to learn more about the guests personally beyond just like, what the techniques are mm -hmm. so i feel like I, I try to balance that a little bit so that every conversation doesn't feel similar um mm. and i still think that's something that i'm i'm working on is to get more more of the personal side of the guests out sometimes because they come on and they want to talk about their latest project which is fine but um you know being a cinematographer or a production designer or even a producer and director it's like their obligation is to talk about their craft, not necessarily the project, the way that it is for like an actor that goes on a late show. Yeah. So they can talk about in their entire career and not just be, you know, not be narrowed into just talking about the the current movie or TV show. So we can we can spread out a little bit and talk about more things. And um, it is that's what I like about the conversations, and I hope it's working for the audience. Absolutely. And it does kind of have that feel, doesn't it? It's like you'll have these um, these DPs and, and people in the film industry and the timing of your episodes will come out when shows come out. And so it does feel kind of like a late night type of thing. But I know that like they're they're not contractually like obligated like actors to go out and do press and PR for the show. Right. I mean, a DP is not part of the, the the conversation usually and that's what's great about your show is you finally get some meat on the, these interviews you, you talk to an actor on a late night show they end up doing a snl sketch basically and you don't get any information f from the filmmaking perspective obviously because it's an entertainment show and yeah. the timing of your episodes it's like oh wow i i just saw that literally on apple tv plus like last week and here's the guy that shot the movie with uh, Captain America. And I'm blanking on it. What's it called? Um, uh, Jacob. Uh, Defending Jacob. Defending Jacob, yeah. yeah Look at you plugging Apple TV+. Plus. You are a good Apple foot soldier, like me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, we can get into that for sure. I'm a big Final <laughs> Cut fanboy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like I, I remember watching the show, uh, and then I think you know, the season ended and, and then there, and then like the next week you have the guy, the, the DP. And I'm like, how did he nail that? That's amazing. So, um, props to you. And I know you, you have a producer as well now at this yeah. point who's helping line things up too. So, um, obviously you've been doing this for a while, so you've been able to build that up, but, um, pretty amazing how it really is like a late night talk show for filmmakers. It's cool. <laughs> Thanks. I, yeah, it's, it's, it has to be timely or else. I don't know. The, especially nowadays, like these shows and movies and stuff, they just, they're only in people's minds for a short period of time. I think what, what I like about interviewing DPs from TV shows is that it's a longer span of interest. So, you know, you might get two weeks with a movie and you might get like 10 weeks with a TV show. So, That's true. Um, so I try to focus on that. Plus, I just like the format of TV anyway. Well, especially now. I mean, it's been, again, I'm an old school listener of your show and- I remember the conversations of with with um, the Breaking Bad guy and with other people and, and hearing the conversation in the industry and how there really was this kind of tectonic shift that happened when Netflix and streaming became such a huge thing. And listening to your show, if you do a binge of your show, you start to hear these DPs who are used to shooting movies now shooting these TV shows and, and you I've been able to hear through the Go Creative show their internal like struggle with it, but also the kind of realization that, huh, it's a TV show. It's basically the exact same as a movie at this point. You know, it's been a really interesting transition that's happened in the film industry. 
I think 20 years ago, if you worked on a TV show, it was like, oh, you're just working on TV. But now it's like the good stories are actually being told on television now. Yeah, it's changed dramatically. And I think, you know, the the, the big time filmmakers that co get into TV, it's the most common struggle that they have is just dealing with shorter time periods, smaller budgets. Like John Schwartzman... Um, you know, he shot The Rock, Seabiscuit, Armageddon, Armageddon, Pearl Harbor, Jurassic World. So, and then he did The Highwaymen, which was a TV series mm -hmm. uh, or a TV mo uh, movie, rather. So it's like somebody like that coming to do TV, the biggest struggle they're going to have is, you know, time and budget. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I've, I've noticed again, hearing the behind the scenes of it is like, they're not used to that time frame. Did you, did you interview the, um, you interviewed the Game of Thrones guy too, didn't you? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. There's been a couple Game of Thrones. Yeah, I, um, so. I mean they've 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 got rotating DPs. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we've had a couple. It's amazing Game of Thrones the, the in there. workflow of that show. Oh my gosh. We had Robert McLaughlin on Go Creative Show a while back talking about Game of Thrones, and he was the one that was behind that really crazy. Um, uh, that huge battle scene, everybody was losing their mind. The loot train battle, uh -huh. people were losing their mind over. He did the red wedding scene. So he was behind like some of the most iconic scenes in the show. Um, and we dive really deep into all of that stuff, which is cool. But then, you know, even the defending Jacob D uh, DP, Jonathan Freeman, he did an episode of mm -hmm. Game of Thrones. So there's a lot of the guys that um, I've had on that have experience with Game of Thrones. It's like that with all... It, it's kind of like that with a lot of these shows. It's... it's um. It's, I guess, more rare to have one DP for an entire season than having, you know, the, the rotation of two or three DPs. I'm curious, what what has been one of your highest performing uh, episodes in terms of uh, listenership and downloads? What are some of the big heavy hitters for your for your show? The Joker, the director of photography for The Joker was definitely yeah. one of the biggest, maybe the biggest. And then a Game of Thrones episode got... Mm. I'm, I'm not Game of Thrones. House of Cards mm. was a huge, huge, I, huge episode. I vividly remember that episode. Yeah, absolutely. That was a big one. Um, that was early on, wasn't it? I mean, because that would have been the first season of House of Cards, right? So <clears throat> It was, yeah. It, I don't know. For some reason, like, I mean, I love that show. But I think that it was at the beginning. It was the first time. What I think it was really was Netflix. It was the first original. First big original. Yeah. So they mm -hmm. had... I think they had a couple going on at the time, but that was the breakthrough for Netflix as far as original programming. And again, it's just another thing. It was just timing. Um, the right the right show at the right time. The David Fincher tie-in with it is fascinating. And um, I know they were shooting on Red at the time and they were doing, what, 6K for a 4K delivery or something. So they would... I remember him talking about how they were kind of framing outside of the, the frame to have extra resolution to stabilize and post because he wanted to have perfectly stable uh, dolly shots and they would actually stabilize the dolly shot so that there's not a not an ounce of jitter or or anything in the shot it's it's crazy that really stuck with me i remember it's like gosh man they're so meticulous about that that's incredible <laughs> yeah you're right i totally forgot about that but you're 100 percent right that and and watching the show if anyone that has seen it i mean the the camera movement is just, it's just spectacular how precise it is. Yeah. And it's kind of nice to know that it wasn't that perfect on set. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, we could go on and on. We could probably just go down the list and I could just name different um, episodes and you probably have interesting thing to talk about with each one. But um, I, I think just for the, for the, you know, sake of this show and keeping it, um, concise. I'll just recommend everybody who's listening to this. If you're not familiar with the Go Creative Show, immediately go subscribe and listen. Um, you post very regularly too. I've, uh, I mean, what's your schedule? Do you do one a week? Once or? a week. Yep. Yeah. So once a week. Um, same here. You know, it's it's hard to it's hard to do it, but I've I've found over the last two years that I've been doing this one. Once you get into that rhythm, it is kind of like it just kind of becomes your job, but it is hard sometimes to do the late night editing or whatever, but um, do you do the post-production at this point or do you have a guy? That, Not that anymore. No. Our Great. producer, Connor Crosby, you can find him at ignition visuals.com. And then our, um, 
uh, our sound mixer is the same since the beginning of the show. Matt Russell yes. um, is still there at gainstructure.com. So, like, those guys are who is basically running this show now. That They're both the reason that this can be weekly, that mm. we have really high-end guests at the right time. It's a lot of work mm-hmm. um, to get a weekly show out. And now that we um, started the YouTube page and have been recording video versions of the episodes and putting out little snippets of the show, there's just so much more content coming out now. And um, there's sometimes topics that we want to hit that are so timely, like we don't want to get it into the rotation of the show. We need to release it immediately. So we're starting to consider potentially doing like little mini episodes that are just for social and for YouTube that aren't like part of the weekly delivery. I don't know. We're trying to see totally. how to how to do it. Well, I really, I'm so, you, you put so much effort into these, um, even the chapters. I think a lot of podcasts don't take advantage of that because um, it's just a lot of extra time to, to do the chapters. If you're not familiar, by the way, uh, some podcasts who put the time into it, uh, you can use an app like Overcast or even Apple Podcast has it now and you can actually uh, kind of jump around the show, which is great. But you're doing that on your YouTube channel as well. Um, a ton of effort and time into this. And that, you know, that's that's come through, what, six years of, of doing this now and uh, being able to build some income uh, from the sponsorship, I would assume, to, to pay the guys that you're working with. So that's great that it's kind of self-sustaining at this point. That's really cool. Our sponsors are great. We've had them. They stick around for a long time. Right now we have um, MZ, Education for Creatives, and Post Lab. Um, both really the reason that the show can exist, and we're really thankful to have them you know, supporting us. Through this, through this journey on the, in the podcast world, what have you seen change over the last six years in that world? And what are some of the, the things that maybe somebody like myself who is doing a show that, that I could learn from, from you kind of being, you know, in a, 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 an OG uh, podcaster before it was cool? <laughs> so much more competition, way more content out there. And, you know, you have to really up your game with sound quality and interesting conversations like you know i feel like an hour is a good format for me but there are a lot of podcasts that are shorter longer you have to really think about your audience's attention span and what they're willing to pay attention to the other thing that's great is there's so much more analytics now than there were before so you really can get a great understanding of what's working and what's not so it's a good time to be a podcaster um Especially since in the past few months with the you know quarantines across the country, um, being able to make content relatively inexpensive in your own home or studio is um, was a really nice thing to have when work wasn't as busy. Totally, and I don't know about you, but I, I was uh, banking a ton of interviews <laughs> because yes. everybody was free. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, it worked in our favor to land a bunch of great guests because they're all available all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, again, if you want to learn more about the show, just go listen to it. Go subscribe and listen to the Go Creative Show. Also, YouTube channel, Go Creative Show on YouTube. Um, fabulous stuff, Ben. And uh, I, you know, I can't applaud you enough for what you've been able to do and what you've been able to achieve with the show. It's really amazing where it, you know, where it is now and, you know, the the growth that you've had over the years. It's pretty awesome. Thanks. So with that, how, like you've got that whole side of your, your career, but you also have the filmmaking side and the directing side. And that's, I see a lot of that on Instagram <laughs> and I see, you know, see that on your social media and, and you talk, you, you, you bring that into your interviews too, which I think is great because um, you're not just some random host. Uh, you actually have, you know, your feet in the industry and, and your your boots on the ground when it comes to making commercial projects with BC Media Productions. Well, it's it's kind of interesting to. I, I think a lot of people just know me as the podcast host, which is fine. Um, but you know, my real actual career is um, uh, I'm a commercial director. And I work uh, and, and own the production company, BC Media Productions. And we're located um, in the Boston area. And um, I mean, I've been doing that for just like 15 years or so. So <clears throat> it's that is really where I cut my teeth. I mean, th- this is what 
my career is and what I've been doing. The podcast is very much a side project that I'm hoping to get become, you know, more of a front burner project. But, you know, production is in my blood. I can't, I can't get myself offset. It's just too much fun. I enjoy it so much and got a lot of people around here that I love working with. Yeah. I mean, what kind of projects do you work on? And I know that you're, you're really involved in the, in the commercial world out there in the Northeast. And, um, just talk about talk about the projects that you work on out there. So we've had some pretty amazing opportunities to um, work with. Like, well, the thing is, I work a lot with ad agencies. So when you're working with ad agencies, you get a lot of really cool opportunities. Um, for instance, like we've worked with Reebok and Nike. We've done commercials for Amazon, um, Citizens Bank. Um, we just did a Honda ad this year. Uh, so there's there's been so many great spots that are coming into Boston and we get to produce a lot of them, which is just a thrill. It really is. For first of all, just to have like those kind of names on your reel is really important. But then also I feel really good about the work too. I think that, you know, we've, I've been able to secure myself as one of the, you know, one of the production companies in Boston that people, that people go to. Um, There's a lot of competition in the area, but Everyone is really qualified, and there's so much great talent here in Boston. And a lot of times we work together. So there's projects that, you know, I may bid on and not win, but I may still be involved in some way, and vice versa with other production companies. So it's a, it's a really collaborative, you know, community here in Boston, especially now during COVID. Um, so it's, it's a combination of, you know, big names that people are impressed by, like Amazon and Honda, but then also just good quality work that we can feel good about. Yeah, totally. And you talk about, you bring, like I said, you bring that into your shows all the time. So we get little snippets of, of kind of what your world is like. You talk about the cameras that you're shooting on. Uh, you, you seem to really like the Ari uh, Alexa mini uh, in particular, yeah. uh, yep. as well as the F, the FS7. FS7, when that was big. yep. Um, so yeah, but, but you're also, but you're a director. You're, you're mostly, you know, yeah. not your hands off on the, on the camera. Do you work with a couple of DPs in town? Is there kind of a go-to person that you have? Yeah, I work a lot with Chris Lochran, who's my primary DP here at um, BC Media Productions. And he and I have been working together for a really long time. Um, You know, there's a lot of great talent here. So there's certainly others that I'm working with. Chris is my main DP. Um, And I think what I like about having that relationship is that we, first of all, have a shorthand between ourselves. But then also, I feel like he knows my shortcomings and are able to support those. And I do the same for him on the other end. So I think together we're a good team and have been able to create a lot of different styles of work uh, between the two of us. Uh, you know, when you're working with agencies, you're kind of you're bringing their ideas to life. And, you know, you still are, you know, you're still driving it uh, and it is still your vision but at the end of the day you're you're turning somebody else's idea into a reality so you have to be able to create a lot of different looks and not just have like the ben consoli look is that won't that won't work if you're doing commercial work like i am and having to create a lot of different styles so i think chris and i work together well on kind of figuring out what style is appropriate and achieving it yeah, how do you balance that uh, being, you know, an artiste and uh, <laughs> dealing with, you know, clients that might not be so artistic, <laughs> if you know what well, I mean? Well, uh, I do. Um, I, I think I really don't, I don't mind it. Like, I don't feel like mm. every project needs to have the Ben Consoli stamp on it. I don't even know what that is. Like, I, I don't even know if I could describe my style. Um I, I enjoy the process of, and I enjoy the challenge of, talking to a client and figuring out what is important about the message that they want to get across or the product that they want to talk to people about. You know, we, cha- we, we changed the branding of BC Media Productions um, and just kind of our mission statement a couple of years ago, and we spent some time thinking about what is it that we do and what do we like to do? And it came down to this idea of story first which is now plastered all over our site. Um, and for good reason, because it's we always want to figure out what is the story that we're telling. Oftentimes in commercial, it could become really easy to just be like, you know, they're talking about a new shoe or, you know, a new car. It just, just show the car, show the shoe, that's it. We, uh, we want to figure out what is the story that needs to be told. 
Especially, now, actually, where that kind of came from, the story first, <clears throat> was that we, when we were going through the branding um, process, we went to our clients and we were like, what do you like about us? What do you like? What did you like about working with us? What was the experience like? And more often than not, what we got back from people was, you were able to help me identify what I needed to say and who I needed to say it to. And so we started thinking like, this may be our niche. This may be the thing that separates us from the pack. And um, it turns out that it was because people felt like we were listening to them. We were helping them identify who are we speaking to? What do they need to say? What do you need to say to them? And giving people an opportunity to like, uh, or helping people rather, figure out how to simplify that message to fit in a 30 second ad or you know, a minute long video. So the idea of story first is, helping you figure out what it is that you need to say and then developing a story around it. And the way, the only way you can really do that is by having each story be completely unique and not interjecting your own ideas and your own self into it. Like really letting the client be its own, you know, uh, I don't even know the right word. Like letting, letting the source, the client be its own source and inspiration for the piece and building off of that instead of putting your uh, look and style into it, if that makes any sense. So it wasn't, you know, to answer your original question, it's not, it isn't difficult for me to, you know, work within the confines of a client's idea and vision, because what I like about that is that I'm able to help them craft it. And that to me is very rewarding. Because yeah, sometimes you're working with clients, um, people who are on the PR team of a certain company or whatever, and, and they they may not know anything about video production. And so you're there to educate them and also guide them, which secretly is you doing what you want, but not really because you're, you're doing what they need and you're kind of teaching them what they need because they, they don't really know. So that's really cool. And um, I'm just looking on your Instagram right now um, you filmed a video for, uh, Northern Essex, uh, in your office, I think. And it's pretty amazing yeah. how much, uh, just a little bit of set design and, and good lighting can transform a space. How, how have you been able to work around the confines of, you know, what's going on right now with the pandemic? It seems like you've been able to land a couple of gigs here and there and still do it safely. Um, I have to be honest with you. Um, we, have not stopped working since COVID hit. We were, we've been able to do in-person production, virtual production. It never really stopped. But what we did was, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, we kind of, the same approach I take with clients was the same approach I took with COVID. It's like, okay, this is what we're dealing with. How do we make this happen? Like, how, how do we take all of these restrictions and work them to our advantage and still be able to put something out there for people? Um, it meant smaller crews. It meant more reliance on post-production. It meant, you know, figuring out new ways to cast people and shooting with longer lenses and not being in people's faces and s much smaller groups of people in rooms. But it's all possible, you know? Like we we were able to do a bunch of stuff during COVID. Um, I'm not going to say it's the best work I've ever done, but I I'm sort of proud of it in the fact that it got done. Like the project you're talking about for Northern Essex Community College, and it's on our site. What what I'm proud of with this is that we were able to incorporate. Well, here was the challenge: the school wanted to talk about what the value of community college is now during COVID. Mainly because at the time that we shot this, there was an assumption that the fall school year was going to be very, very different. And um, that has come to be true. So what they had asked us to do is figure out a way to tell that story, but within the confines of COVID-19. So, you know, here in Boston, I know it's different in different states, but in Massachusetts and in Boston area, you couldn't have more than 10 people in a room. Um, you had to maintain the distance all the time. Uh you know, try to shoot outside as much as you can. So we weren't able to, you know, get a studio location. We weren't able to do traditional casting. We weren't able to do really anything. So what we ended up doing was using what we had. And at the time it was my office 
and a bunch of props in my house and in the office that I already had. So we we created three distinct looks in a very small area um, and created completely three different environments with three different actors. And the crew was three people. Um, myself, our producer, Maria Del Croce, and uh, Connor Crosby, who also produces the podcast. We That was it. That was the crew. I ran camera. I directed it. I lit it. Uh, and it kind of took me back to the roots of my, you know, my production company, how I started. It was kind of fun in a way um, to go back to those old school days. Working with within restrictions like that can sometimes force you to be more creative and, and it's really fun to work within those those boundaries sometimes. I, I thought it was, you know, big time directors of photography. I just spoke to someone the other day. He, oh, Benedict Spence, what show was he? Oh, oh End of the f-ing World. That was the show he did. But he was talking about restricting his tool set so much so that he created like a lookbook show Bible that were like, these are the lenses we use. He talked about how they were so strict about the restrictions they placed on themselves for the shoot, but it opened up a ton of opportunity cinematically. And you're 100% right. Like being able, like limiting your tool set, limiting your possibilities, sometimes in the right circumstance can create an environment where you can even be more creative. And I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, heck, heck yeah. That's what I love about the YouTube um, world that I'm in is, you know, I've got one camera, one lens. I have a, a ticking time bomb of like, okay, I've only got about 48 hours and then this video won't be relevant anymore. So I need mm. to get it done as fast as possible. And I, I just love that kind of rush. I don't, I don't know. I think I have a problem, but it is. That's like news, you know? Yeah. Totally. If you were, you know, if you were doing this before YouTube and before the boom of the you know, sort of prosumer um filmmaking enthusiasts you'd probably be in the news market (laughs) that's true maybe i'd be a journalist you're right yeah (laughs) um so how how do the how does the go creative show tie into to your work have you have you landed any jobs with bc media productions because of the show or have you been on set and people are like oh i listen to your show or like do they ever kind of intertwine with each other um, yeah, there's been a couple of, um, there's been a couple of instances where people learned about me from the show that were like needed to shoot in Boston or, mm-hmm. um, you know, were just coming into town and wanted to say hi. Um, I was invited to the set of Fargo through the show and I oh, cool. got an opportunity to like sit there and watch them, uh, film. It was actually in Chicago back in January. So right before things started closing down. Yeah. Um, so there's been some pretty cool opportunities to f- meet people. Like you, I mean, w- the fact that we <laughs> met at, in um, at NAB, like those are the those are the situations that I love the most. Is when I can really blend the Go Creative Show and my own sort of love of filmmaking and do something collaborative and fun. Um, so yeah, there's there's been a few things. I can't tell you that the show's been like a huge boon for work. I'm still grinding it out and getting new clients the old fashioned <laughs> way and doing all of that. Like, yeah, I can't just sit back and have the phone ring off the hook. I'm still out there grinding it, you know? Yeah. You totally. have to. You have to. That's awesome. But That's I what... think the show does help for people can, you know, look up my name and see if, you know, is this person that I may potentially hire to shoot my commercial a complete fool? Um, <laughs> or is he like a real legitimate person that knows what they're talking about? And uh, yes, both. on both accounts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but at least it, it brings some legitimacy. Totally. Totally. Now, um, there's another side of, of you and I both that... Uh, Sometimes we have opportunities to talk about. Um, you've been on a couple of Final Cut uh, podcasts to to rave about it. Where I'd say both of us are a little bit uh, Final Cut evangelists. I feel like, especially during the early days of Final Cut, you kind of had to be an evangelist for it because there was such a bad taste in everybody's mouth when it first came out. But I stuck with it. I, I transitioned from Final Cut Seven to Final Cut Pro X literally the day it came out. And uh, haven't really gone anywhere else since. Um, I'm being forced to kind of use Premiere a little bit right now because of my new job with Indie Mogul. But I'm really just editing everything in Final Cut and then converting it to Premiere because I refuse to use Premiere. So, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you're a Final Cut uh, fanboy. I don't know how much editing you're doing these days, but um, I still use it 
you know, very often and, uh, and love the app. I'm starting to love it a little bit less because I feel like things are starting to catch up. People are kind of stealing ideas that made Final Cut unique. Like Resolve is, is now crushing it. And uh, even Premiere has gotten a lot better. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, uh, tell me about Final Cut and uh, <laughs> your journey over these last... What? How long has it been? I think it was 2011 when it came out, right? It's almost 10 years. It's been a while. I was a day one person too. Yeah. Just like you. <laughs> I... I loved it from the second I saw that demo. I'm like, this is it. This is exactly where I want editing to go. I'm psyched about it. I'm going to download it. This is going to be, this is going to revolutionize editing. This is going to take over the world. (laughs) But as we all know, there was major pushback and it was like, it was a huge debate. People were freaking out. Like the fu- the edit the NLE wars were were insane at the it time. It was. It really was. And yeah. it made it kind of even more exciting in a way. But uh-huh. I don't know. I backed the dark horse on this one, and I feel like Final Cut had a lot to prove because it got rid of the old Final Cut Seven. It just ripped it out of people's hands, which was pathetic. That was dumb. <laughs> but so I love how um, brutally honest you are. I'm almost nervous to say that I am the same because it's like there there was I remember having a conversation with somebody in a car one time like who was in production he literally said something like if you use Final Cut Pro X you are not a professional video editor and I was Mm. like how on God's green earth could anybody say if you use this tool you're not a professional like what a stuck up thing to say like are you being I got so angry and he was actually a client (laughs) so i like i got really like personally attacked almost and i was like why you know i went into this whole like overarching question like so if i use sony vegas and i made a movie with sony vegas because that's what i like you're telling me i'm not a professional editor like it doesn't matter what tool you use it's just what i prefer and what i like and he's like you're you know you're ridiculous. The app sucks. It's, you know, it's not professional in any way, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, have you ever used it? He's like, no. I'm like, shut your freaking pie hole, dude. <laughs> so yeah, the, there was the rollout anim- was not good. The press was not good. Yeah. Um, I mean, Conan made a joke about it on his show. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, I get it. Like, I totally understand it. There was something fun about being on the Final Cut Pro side and having everybody think you were a total ass. I don't know. I thought it was kind of fun. I'm like, no, I'm using it. I'm using it. My whole studio is using it. And if you're going to work for me, you're using it. (laughs) (laughs) I love um, uh, Chris Fenwick's show, the uh, Final Cut Pro X uh, grill. Uh, Yeah. And I wish that he would continue doing it because it was actually something I really look forward to. I know he's really busy and and I think he's just decided not to do it because yeah um, he just doesn't want to which is totally fine (laughs) but uh, I think you've been on his show a couple times and uh, I love just the there is because of that I feel like all the Final Cut users really have almost like a sense of family and brotherhood because it's like we got through this together and (laughs) and now like and there's no denying even back then like there's no denying that it was better because this is the argument that you have with people all the time but it's like you could drop dslr footage directly in without converting anything that was the biggest like feature of all and it was 64 bit as well so we're talking about like 2011 this was all a big deal to not have to convert hdslr footage you could natively edit H.264, HDSLR, uh, 24p, 1080p, you know, on your computer. It ran so buttery smooth on Mac yeah. computers compared to Premiere, compared to Final Cut. Um, I wouldn't have to render anything anymore. I could actually play real time. It was it was revolutionary. The multicam features were incredible. Eh, the color grading wasn't too great. I, I, I never really liked the color board. I, I did figure it out. I did figure out how to use it well, but... Uh, it wasn't until, um, oh, what's his face? Color Grading Central did his uh, plug-in. Uh, what was what was that called? The, the, oh, my God. You know what I'm talking about. I um, do, 100%. I used it up until they opened up the new uh, yeah. color. <laughs> it was basically like uh, Denver Riddle. That's his name. That's and he, it. Yes, and yes, And yes. Color Finale was the name of it. Yep. And it was a great plug-in, and I used that in addition to Film Convert all the time. And 
as soon as Apple did the three wheel <laughs> color thing, I was like, oh, sorry, uh, I'm going to just use the native now. But um, anyways, you know, uh, there's probably a lot of people who are rolling their eyes right now because I do think there's a ton of Premiere editors out there. But give it another chance, guys, if you're interested. I mean, just the fact that I paid $300 for it in 2011, and that was the last time I put any money into the app, and I've made my entire living with this one thing. Doesn't that mean anything to you guys? You spend more than that on one year of Creative Cloud. So, I don't know. <laughs> now, I think you're right. And what... I, I, if you are running a Mac, obviously, um, <laughs> f- there is nothing faster than Final Cut Pro on an on a new Mac. You will not have a better, faster experience. That's just the way that it is. I understand that Premiere is awesome and everybody loves it and yada, yada, yada. That's great. I think it's a really great editing platform, especially when you broaden it out to Creative Cloud. But just for pure, silky smooth, buttery editing... Sorry, that's what it is. Final Cut mixed with app with with a, a modern Mac, it just yeah. is better. I don't know what to we're tell gonna, you. We're gonna see that in full force coming up when the Apple Silicon Macs start shipping. Because yes. of course it'll take. They're gonna have to redo their whole architecture for Premiere and Resolve. So I, it'll probably be a couple of years before they catch up to what Final Cut will be able to do on an ARM-based Mac, which I'm real excited about because. ARM on iPads with LumaFusion is incredible. I can't imagine what it's going to be like on a proper computer. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, and I think that's probably why I have no inside information. I wish I did. I'd tell you if I did, which is probably why they don't give me inside information. <laughs> but um, uh, but I, I think that's probably why the updates to Final Cut have been kind of a trickle lately and not anything yeah. big. I just feel like they're waiting for the ARM Max so that I don't know. I, I just think it's all going to be together, and they'll use yeah. that as an opportunity to show just how powerful the ARM Mac is. Totally. I, I think um, at the WWC uh, keynote, there was a sh- yeah, there was they, a little sneak peek in there. Yeah, and it, they've they've done Logic Pro X and they've done Final Cut uh, Pro X. Um, they've they've redone them, so th- that's probably where their engineers have been for these last two years. Is recoding everything for that to be ready and i I had a conversation at i think it was vidcon with one of the adobe uh engineers just like literally a guy that works on premiere who's an engineer and i asked him i was like come on dude like can you just be cut like cut it straight with me why is premiere so much slower than final cut and he said off the record (laughs) but basically like apple just doesn't tell us stuff we have to reverse engineer everything and they have full like they know everything about the computer and they're able to harness it and do kind of a little bit of Apple mojo with the app because they make the hardware and Premiere is an old app. There's a ton of code from 30 years ago that's still built into it. So that's why it crashes all the time. It's just an old app. And uh, Final Cut was smart when they threw away this through threw away seven, they threw away all the code and they started fresh with, with 10 and it, it's ended up, I think working out in the long run, um, because a lot of the YouTubers, a lot of YouTubers are on it. Uh, young people, if you're getting started right now, if you're listening to this show, you're like, I'm being told in college or in high school to, to look at Premiere because that's what the pros use. Let me tell you, if you're starting fresh, start with Final Cut. It's more intuitive. Like the way the NLEs work, like Premiere, Avid, it's, it's not intuitive. You have to really learn. It takes time. The way that the magnetic timeline works when you harness it is so intuitive and amazing. I love it. Yeah, so. and back in the day, there was such a huge departure from Final Cut to everything else. But all the other applications are now starting to be inspired by Final Cut. So it's not as big of a jump if you go from Final Cut to um, Premiere. But, I mean, let's be honest. Everybody has Creative Cloud. Come on now. I mean, you have to have it. <laughs> you got to have Creative Cloud. There's a ton of amazing tools in there. Like, give me a break. But Final Cut yeah. is awesome. <laughs> I uh before I was oh, I, I before I was on Indie Mogul I was just paying for the photo uh bundle with um Lightroom and Photoshop cuz I I I feel like I there's nothing that really replaces Photoshop or Lightroom Affinity Photo is pretty close I've tried it um it's really nice but there there literally is nothing on the market that can replace Lightroom um you've got Capture One and a couple other things but it's not the same so uh, After Effects is great. I always missed not having that, but um, 
give motion a try. I've I've actually done a whole 3D um, green screen based music video all in Apple Motion on a MacBook Air. <laughs> so uh, I, I like motion a lot. I, I do. I definitely wouldn't say I did a little bit of the ripple training with Mark Spencer. He, mm-hmm. He's such a good motion guy. My God, he knows that program in and out. Yeah. And his training's amazing. Um, and I learned quite a bit on there. Like, and there's there, motion is cool because of all the rigging and the, the um, uh, tie-ins with Final Cut. Yes. But I just don't do enough graphics work. It's like, it's not worth it for me to really learn that program. Um, so yeah. I've just end up going back to After Effects because I'm more familiar with it. Sure. And uh, if I'm doing the graphics, there's a problem. There's like the budget's low or there's very little time. <laughs> so if I'm involved in any sort of graphics work, it's because yeah. it's it needs to be done quickly and cheaply. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to use something I'm more familiar with. Totally. Um, a lot of people don't realize it, but you can like I when with my YouTube channel, I kept using the same font. I kept putting the, the text in the same area. And I was like, why am I wasting my time dragging a text thing over, typing it, changing the font, moving it to the X and Y axis that I wanted at when I could just go into motion and make a template. And so that's what I did. I opened it up. I made a, my font. I put it in the exact same spot and then just drag and drop it from that point on. And it was amazing. And that opened up my eyes to like, holy crap, if there's something that I'm using regularly in Final Cut, I can actually just hop over to motion and build it. I might have to watch a couple tutorials to figure out how to do it. But you can build it and then it becomes its own built-in plugin. It's just a brilliant system and nobody has anything like that. And I think that's one thing that a ton of people overlook because they're just ignorant. They don't they don't even know that's an option. So Yeah, when you combine Final Cut and Motion, Motion's fifty bucks. You pay it for it once and that's it. <laughs> I know, Never again. It's insane. When you combine the two, it really changes the whole thing. I almost wish that Final Cut just kind of incorporated motion into it and didn't make it a separate app, even though it's so inexpensive, but that way people would associate final cut with the power of motion, which they really don't. You've got your, you've got your business, you've got your, your filmmaking, you know, freelance world, you've got your podcast. What's, uh, what's it like kind of balancing these two things in your world and, and how does your brain work with this? Because they really are very different. One is very social media, you know, face of this podcast entity, this this empire. And then you've got your face of the director, you know, the owner of, of BC Media Productions. Like, how do you balance all of that? And I know, honestly, some of the answer is the amazing people that you seem to have surrounding you. But um, what's it like kind of dealing with that? I... Before we did this interview, you were like, what do you do again? You do like five different things. I'm like, yeah, I know. It's it's hard balancing like all these random things that you do. And I just, I, for myself, selfishly want to know how you're able to, in your personal life, kind of turn off all these things. Or do you not turn it off? <laughs> I don't need to turn it off because it's all just me. It's all just like fun. Like I'm interested in everything that I'm doing. So I never feel like it's like, okay, now I need to get into podcast mode or now I need to get into director mode. It's all the same thing, you know? Um, so I, I, when I'm conducting an, interv- an interview on Go Creative Show, it's very similar to how I conduct an interview uh, for a video shoot. Um, you know, it's all about storytelling. It's all about being engaged and, and just trying to create, you know, it, it's a performance. All of it is a performance and it's all really fun. Um, so I never feel like I have to leave one behind to focus on the other. They all seem very much part of the same world to me. Well, see, the there's a little thing you just quickly said that I think is really poignant. It's all a performance. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think a lot of people who maybe don't have the background you have on stage and actually legitimately being a performer, um, myself included, I, I was a, uh, a magician for so many yes. years. Um, and that's why I feel like it's been such a natural thing for me to be on camera and and to host this show, even though I'm also behind the camera a lot, it's that perfect marriage of being a performer and also being a creator. A lot of people don't have that. And, um, you know, a a good friend of mine, Caleb Pike, who's, he has a channel called DSLR video shooter. He's incredible. And he's, he has the opposite. He's like, I am not a performer. I'm just turning on the camera and talking like, I'm like, well, you are performing, but he's just not turning on like this crazy character or persona. For, yeah, per exactly. Se. Um, everybody seems to do it differently, but I think a lot of people forget. Like when you're directing, you have to kind of be fake happy a lot <laughs> because, like, everybody's looking to you to be the kind of tone of the room, right? Like, what have you learned 
about that when, when you go on set and you're just not having a good day. <laughs> you, you have to represent the type of shoot that you want. You just do. So who cares if you're having a bad day? No one cares. You got to come in there with the right energy, motivate people, get the best performances out of actors, get the best performances out of crew. Like you have to do that. Um, that's your role as the director. At least that's how, how I see my role as a director. Um, you got to be the liaison between the crew, the talent, and the client. Client needs to feel like they're having a good time. I, I truly, honestly feel like I enjoy cooking. I love cooking. I love having people over my house. I love having house parties. I always have. As a teenager, I used to have Christmas and July parties at my parents' house. Oh, There'd be like awesome. 50 kids downstairs. <laughs> it, and I, I love sort of organizing large groups of people, making sure they're having a good time and kind of putting on events. And I feel like every shoot that I'm directing, I do feel like I'm putting on that as an event. I want people to have good food. I want them to have a good experience from the moment they get there. And I, I'll take very close, you know, I'll pay very close attention to the crew that is there. I want to make sure that everybody that's on set is of the same mind. They're going to be friendly and nice and work hard but also, you know, make sure that everybody feels good around them and just have like a good vibe on set. That is so important to me because let's face it, you know, out of a hundred projects I do, maybe 20 or 30 will end up on my site. There's a lot of projects that will never be seen by anyone except for the client. If even that, <laughs> you know, sure. at the end of the day, it's about the experience that people have on set. It's just as important as the work, sometimes more important, depending on the project and the client. So that to me is the most important thing. I want people to have a good experience on set. I think that's a great way to, to end the show, Ben. That Look was, at that. That was a brilliant kind of bookend to this conversation. <laughs> I can't agree more. Um, uh, when I started doing directing uh, music videos and stuff in Nashville, I was working with another director and that's one of the things I noticed about him. He was very encouraging, very kind and constantly affirming people. And I was like, isn't he kind of overdoing it a little bit? And I talked to him about it and he's like, no man, like this is, I'm setting the tone for the room. And um, by uplifting others, it makes them, you know, excited to be there and happy to be there. And, and you, there's nothing worse than a crew that's all pissed off and tired and over. I mean, you're already tired and overworked. So like, yeah, let's at least have fun, have some good food. I think I heard an interview with uh, Shia LaBeouf. He did like his own movie for, he paid, you know, money to direct and make this movie recently. I forgot what it was. You might know. Honey Boy? Was it Honey Boy? It might've been that one. Might've been another, like maybe short film or something, but he, uh, they were like, how did you get away with doing this for like next to no budget? He was like, uh, good food. <laughs> he said, I can, I can get away with paying people less if the catering is really good. <laughs> and Honestly, I think that's so true. true. Like if you have budget, it's almost like, okay, before we allocate this money towards cameras, what do we got on set, you know, to feed these people, to take care of them, make sure they're hydrated, make sure they're safe. You know, that's, that's the priority is taking care of your crew. Cause then they're going to, they're going to bring their best and, uh, you know, that's one of the beautiful things about filmmaking too is uh is those lunch breaks. <laughs> so. The thing I hate the most of covid production. You know, you'll do the masks, you'll do a shield when you need to, gloves when you need to. The craft service right now during covid is terrible. <laughs> you can't hang out and chat and talk and have coffee and relax. I mean, it drives me crazy. That's that is what I miss the most. I can't wait to have regular craft services back. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the best part is just kind of shooting the breeze with each other and getting to know your crew and getting to know the client and uh yeah, I can't agree more. It's 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 an amazing field to be in and it seems like based on who you were as a as a boy, it seems like you you found the perfect career for yourself uh because it truly is like you're getting paid to throw these events and and they're also events that you love because it's filmmaking. I mean, it's it's pretty awesome, man. That's awesome. Way to go. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. So anyways, everybody go check out Ben Consoli uh, on Twitter, Instagram, but also if you love podcasts, of course, go check out the Go Creative Show. We will link it down below. And if you have projects in uh, 
I guess anywhere. You'll probably travel, I would assume. Well, we um, travel all the time. And especially now, <laughs> we've been doing a ton of virtual production. So mm. if you guys are interested in what we've been doing on the virtual production standpoint, we have um, iPhone virtual production, and we also have DSLR virtual production. Contactless, crewless virtual production. Um, we have a little bit of detail on the bcmediaproductions.com website if you guys are interested in that. But that has opened up a whole new area of clients for us, and it's been a lot of fun. Heck yeah. Go check them out everywhere. Ben, thank you so much again for being on the show. It was a pleasure uh, shooting the breeze with you, having uh, some craft services together on this show. So thank you. <laughs> and congratulations for all your success. I mean, well, well warranted. You're a great performer. Your magic was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's and, right. Uh, you saw my magic tricks. At, I did see your uh, magic. I thought, booth. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was really fun and your reviews are really great and just everything you're doing is really good. And I'm I'm kind of I'm upset we haven't had you on Go Creative Show yet, which has to change. <laughs> I would be happy to be on, of course. Uh just let me know. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much. I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Ben Consoli from the Go Creative Show as well as BC Media Productions. It was a real honor for me to interview him again, being kind of a fanboy of his for so many years listening to the Go Creative Show. Again, like I said multiple times in the interview, if you haven't already subscribed to the Go Creative Show, I highly urge you to go check it out. Incredible podcast. Wherever you listen to this podcast, just search for Go Creative Show. It'll be there, I promise. And you're going to definitely want to binge some of the episodes because he's had some incredible guests every single week. I'd like to thank you guys for listening to the Golden Hour podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Dave Mays. This show is brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio, and we'll see you next week. Bye.